Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. How you guys doing today? What's happening, man? Alhamdulillah, doing well. Have you guys heard of this thing called the ostrich theory? I nope. never, never. Like heard burying it. your head in the sand to avoid stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, no. uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, so on the way here, I was actually listening uh, to another podcast. Uh, NP- an NPR one. It was called like the the what did I just say? The ostrich theory. Ostrich the ostrich theory. theory yeah. Um, and uh, it's interesting that it came around this time because it uh, they conducted like a lot of experiments on about on like people in the stock market like when um they know that like wartime is coming or you know uh, like something bad is about to happen to their portfolio. People tend to check their portfolio. I, I heard less something often. similar to that, yeah, but where it was the opposite, where they were studying World War One, yeah, and they could sort of prove that no one expected saw it coming because all the business transactions were moving as normal. There was no, uh, in terms of the numbers, there was no record of any shift or any change right up to World War One. So usually, when people know that there's ominous events about to happen uh, or bad events about to happen. Their buying habits change. That's what you're saying, right? No, the opposite. You're saying the opposite. So, so yeah, that's what so I'm saying. What, the what I was saying is like, uh, there's this ostrich theory. They call it the ostrich theory, right? It's uh, when you know something bad is going to happen, you tend to just bury your head in the sand and ignore it. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's interesting because of you know what you know all the controversy that happened this weekend, which I don't want to talk about, but. It's interesting that, you know, like I got off of Facebook. I was just like, you know, I'm deactivating for the weekend. You were telling me you got off of Facebook. You know, Alex has been on Facebook. <laughs> um, I might have hit record Facebook. Saad wasn't on, you know, Saad didn't have his phone. But it's interesting, you know, that when you hear something like that happen, you know, you a lot of people, right, uh, they tend to, you know, bury their head in their sand. They're like, I don't even want to know about it, you know, just you know, leave me alone, right? Let me, let me go off into my thing. That's interesting. Yeah. And I it, find the opposite happens. A lot of people are like, so, now's my chance to talk about something. Well, that's means they're, they're like, sort of like onlookers who are not affected. Yeah. Yeah. Know? So, I mean, there, there's some people who obviously when they know something bad, like the logical and rational thing, right? According yeah. to economists would be to actually look at your stocks when wartime is coming or like when something is happening because you should know the health of your portfolio. Or for example, they did another study on, um, college students and what they did is um uh they took a blood samples of all of the you know folks beforehand mm-hmm. and they were like you know part being part of the study they're going to give you a blood sample we're going to take a blood sample and then afterwards it, uh, they asked him you know whether they would like to conduct a test for uh hpv right the uh, herpes virus okay right and they were like you know you can either do two things either we can conduct the test for free okay or you could pay twenty bucks, and we won't conduct it. And they're and they say that you know fifty percent of people within the study they actually paid fifty. They paid the twenty bucks to not conduct to it. to not conduct it. And they were like, okay, so they literally handed them the blood their blood sample back, and they were like, you know, flush it down the drain or you know pour it down the sink. So they actually recorded them pouring their own blood down the sink. And as weird as that sounds, right? It's People actually they chose, don't want bad news. Yeah. They don't want bad news, right? Like they, yeah. but there were fifty percent that were like, no, you know, like if I already took the blood, yeah. right, just conduct the test, right? There's nothing yeah. like just tell me, right? And uh, it goes both ways, but it's interesting that you know things like that happen. And the reason why you know I bring this up is, you know, 
the idea of seclusion is important. Yeah. Right. Like that's one thing that that was important for me is like when I heard all of this stuff, you could call it the ostrich theory, whatever you want to call it. And it's not just this stuff over time. Like, you know, I said to text to you guys, you know, that I, after so many of these things happening, I feel like just getting out of the game. Yeah. And, but you, and you get used to over, to over time, just checking out for longer periods of time. And what, what I've realized is that actually nothing happens. You could check out or you not check out. The result is going to be the same. In okay. fact, your blood pressure stays low. You probably did something else that was useful. And when something, when things were going really well, it's, there's no reason to check out. But once there, things start to get really bad and you have a bad experience and you have to force yourself to ignore certain people, right? And not answer them and shut them down because they're giving you such a headache. Then you actually get into the habit of ignoring. And over the past year, I would say, maybe less, I actually got used to, got into the habit of the idea that you're not obligated to see everything and I'm not obligated. There's no reason for me to answer everyone, right? And so that has actually helped a lot, yeah. you know, because the the idea that you can have a switch and some people just have no discipline. They have to look at every text message. They have to look at every email. I actually am like, no, I don't. I actually don't. Unless if, if you're not my employer, if you're not a bill that I have to pay, right? And of course, anyone who's asking an innocent question, I always answer that. But otherwise, I learned the fact, the idea that you actually don't have to answer anyone. Absolutely. And it's very like, mm-hmm. it's. I, I tell you, it's freed up hours of time. And it's a great practice to learn how to ignore, Mm. you know? And one thing, uh, I've noticed this with folks that I know, but, you know, other people have also mentioned this, that I used to have this uh, coworker of mine uh, previously, and he was huge news junkie, right? Similar to Alex. He was just on everything all the time. (laughs) Alex is is more of a philosophy junkie. Yeah, Alex is like a philosopher. No, but he's like, he knows every Marxist philosopher out there (laughs) Mm. and everything that they said, like all these European names that you've never heard of. But Alex is somehow very. We can't even. But he's very controlled, though, somehow. I don't know (laughs) how how you could do that. How do you manage that? How do I manage what? Like, you know, being this like philosophy news junkie and still like keeping like your mental state under control well i'll show you so that's, that's my inbox on gmail like i don't check my email. yeah i don't open anything yeah it's really hard to get to me through email i have a different email account that i give to people who i think are important that i check that sometimes <laughs> but not usually yeah yeah and, and and so what's been so interesting is a lot of folks um used to be really like like this coworker i'm telling you before the election of trump right mm-hmm. he was really into the news really into just you know everything about politics you know listen to every debate read every white paper read every news article right and he said you know after the election of trump because that just like threw out the whole concept of news, yeah. the whole concept of, you know, what's going to happen, predictions, oh, yeah. right? That's and good. so after that, he was so scarred from it. Like this, this event yeah. took him so far away from it, he just stopped yeah. listening to anything. And afterwards, it was so serene for him, right? Because yeah. he's just away mm-hmm. from everything. Yeah, see, I'm not a diehard liberal, so I wasn't really that negatively affected by Trump's election, right? I, I, I found it, uh, I don't want to say amusing, right? <laughs> but to me... <laughs> You know, a little shining fraud. What's that? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the your reaction to Trump is inversely proportionate to your commitment to liberalism, right? or or the ex- right. 
<laughs> Say that one more time. Need some people's, scratch paper to people's, work that out. People's reaction to the Trump election is inversely proportionate to their aqidah and firm belief in liberalism. Right? So they were completely shattered when he... For me, it was like Trump, Clinton, some... It's either I'm going to draw I mean, that on a graph. Right? It's going to be our picture this time. Yeah, make it a graph. <laughs> By the way, that's my answer to Maureen's question. Is is that right? Except that I'm not... I'm not a I don't care about most of that that stuff, right? Like either way, whatever. I'm not. Yeah. I, I don't feel. I don't feel like. How do I put this? I don't feel like most of it has any effect on my life whatsoever, yeah. right? Unless it's something directly related to my family, something directly related to the generality of the Muslims, or my close friends. Yeah, I, I'm good. I'm. I can. I can see like news about this or that or argument, and it doesn't. I know that it doesn't. It doesn't personally do anything to me. See, I look at the the culture at large. If the culture at large is corrupted, right, then no doubt, eventually your leader is going to become become just a reflection. And there's a. I'm sure you know this uh, academic, feminist, academic, Marxist, feminist, whatever she is. But she has some good points, right? Everything. Uh, Camilla Paglia. Camilla Paglia. So you know about her, right? Yeah. So she's going on, and one of her theories, which is not a theory, it's observation. Very good observation. It's obvious that every time a civilization is reaching the end point, when they're at the end of their timeline, they become a very permissive about everything sexual, and they become almost anti-masculine. Right, and she noted this amongst the Romans, amongst the Americans in the twenties, okay, uh, the Great Gatsby and all that stuff. That that idea uh, amongst the Egyptians, amongst the Babylonians, right? So she kept noting it over and over and over. She said, "This is not new. This is a pattern that exists." So once you see that, when it's going downhill, the whole culture is going downhill. It doesn't make a difference the the, the manifestation. So, whether, so what? So what's her theory? She says that her th- it's not a theory. It's an observation uh-huh. that every time a civilization has reached its end, okay, if you trace the period right before really their their real ending, okay, uh, they're ve- become very permissive about everything sexual and gender related, right? They actually <laughs> become very permissive about it. And mm-hmm. so she noted a lot of homosexual rise in homosexual behavior in the Roman times. Uh, at, towards the end, right before they conquered by the Germanic tribes, rise of uh the image of the man has changed at the end from being this like Hulk, uh, like a type of Hulk type of uh robust guy, right, who's the conqueror and a warrior and a hero, from that to like uh, an artsy fartsy type of like, yeah, like uh, effeminate, effeminate, you know, clean shaven, yeah, all that's so very skinny, very into the arts, right. And probably gay, right? So she she notes this in their art, which is you know, and you see you can see it in her book. There's an interesting point that I don't think Paglia uh, touches on, but Vesuvius, the 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 eruption that killed all of those people. Yeah. Right before then, they were a culture that was full of pornographic art. Tomorrow. Like it was the standard art yeah. was like people committing sexual acts. Yeah. And all of that is preserved, right? Like the statues and some of the paintings, even in the bas reliefs, yeah. and they used to be kept in a uh, like some museum where the general public wasn't allowed. Yeah, but that was back then. Nowadays, it's completely acceptable for everybody, so they've opened it up to the public. Yeah. But you can go in there and see; it's nothing but pornography. Yeah, and she makes another amazing point too: is that these societies really annoyed uh, other tribes. These societies really annoyed some other tribes. And uh, 
in terms of the Romans, in the Roman times, there were the Germanic tribes, right? In other tribes, in other times, there were the Huns. Who did the Huns conquer? Who did the Huns take over? So I, I think the Huns were, uh, they, who did they conquer? Balkans? The Balkans, okay. Balkans. Then he got Ch- Genghis Khan. When he conquered, all the people around him were corrupted. You got, um, who else you got? You got a lot of people who conquered like that. The Vikings, okay. Alexander. Who else? You got? Alexander. Alexander. You got a lot of people. Who, now, one of the things she noted is that it's all these like barbaric tribes, right? Yeah. These barbaric tribes, and she said, "Well, who's who's today's Huns? It's ISIS, right? The Huns of today, and these like barbaric guys who are the, at the opposite extreme of masculinity, right? And so she's noting that uh, you know all these are quite ominous signs." For Western civilization. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean like there's going to be an atomic bomb on Western civilization? No. When people talk about the death of a civilization, what they mean is they don't produce and transmit their ideals to the next generation. They sometimes don't even reproduce or they're in a war that they're going to lose. Okay. Physical war or otherwise, or they simply just die out and are outnumbered by other people. Hmm. But what do right? we mean by Western civilization? All of those are happening in America. Because, right? yeah. yeah. But, but by what, Western civilization, we mean. Uh, the 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 uh, the the dominant group of secular humanists because right? like for example uh, before right when we talk about you know the Roman civilization we talked about the, well like, I'll, the Huns, I'll explain this like, to you they're they're physically still contained no, right no I'll explain this to you uh, when we talk about a civilization we mean the inheritance and the transmission of a heritage from generation to generation. Because if we're talking, like we said, I think last week or something, uh, when we talk about a civilization as a location, a geographic location, and humans living there, then yeah, it's always going to exist. But a civilization is an, a set of ideals and principles that are passed down from generation to generation and are manifested victoriously through uh, strong militaries, through culture that you, s- you send out to the rest of the world, through being an example of justice, et cetera, et cetera. These are so like, by, by like... You know, her saying that, okay, this civilization is falling. Is she speaking about, like, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, like, you know, Christians? Yes, that's like, what it, she's it, talking yeah. about. That's what she's talking about. She, and, and the memory, the the sort of chain of memories that, that that carries with it, right? The chain of memories. And if you look at it, honestly, the, the idea of the founding fathers being these uh, people who established these great people that we respect is eroding, right? The national anthem people want it. Canceled because at the end of the poem, or towards the end of the poem, he extols slavery, right? Um, how many statues are coming down now? Left and right, you see people changing names, people taking down statues, right? So all of the great figures of the 20th century that were viewed as the pillars of post-World War II uh, global order are being taken down. Um, uh, what's his name? Gandhi is being taken down everywhere, right? Yeah. In Africa, they're taking him down. Okay. Uh, eventually, I'm telling you, they're going to get to George Washington. It's not going to be long before they get to George Washington. Wait, why should he be an exception? Yale, they had a building named after a guy who was a racist. Boston Red Sox, their owner, they have a street named after him, the street that the stadium's on. Mm. Well, he was a big time racist. So they want to change all that. Well, then why stop there? Why not eventually get to Thomas Jefferson? Why not eventually get to George Washington? So I'm telling you, the, in, the civilization in terms of the inherited heritage that's passed down, okay, from generation to generation as what's good, symbols of goodness, all that's being eroded. And what you're going to end up with is a vacuum. And in a vacuum, who takes over the vacuum? The one with the strongest willpower. 
And this is Camilla's point is that, and other people, many people are making this point, by the way. When you look at willpower, who in the world has a burnt, has the strongest willpower, right? And you find most of them are talking about the jihadists, right? And some people just say Muslims in general, right? That they still have something to believe in. Like that guy, Cernovich, right? Who mm-hmm. I thought was actually like an intellectual because I, how much time I heard his name, it turned out he's just like a Trump imitating guy. I, I don't know, but he didn't turn out to be that impressive. Right. But he, one of his points some while back was that he was so, he admired the will of Muslims that they believe in something. They refuse to budge. They don't care what people say. Right. And he said, you can't underestimate that will. Because once there is a vacuum, that will is going to have room to express itself. Even even to to go back on that point, though, you know, I, I would say it's not just like oh, you know, these jihadist air quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the the concept of willpower. I mean, that you can apply that to Muslims. You can even apply it to you know uh, Roman Catholic, like strict Roman Catholics. Mm-hmm. Like the, they still have willpower as well, right? But I agree, it's you know people of willpower, and it could be. Um, it has to be people grounded in something. They have to, right? and, and and the word that's going around a lot in critique of secular humanists is believe in nothing. Comfortable people who believe in nothing. These types of people are prime targets, right, for being taken down. But right. I would argue also that most people aren't actually secular humanists. Like they're just nothing. No, if you're nothing, you're a secular humanist, though. Yeah, I probably. I think so. Like if even if you call yourself a Christian, there's are, there are implicit beliefs. And there are explicit beliefs. There's a guy, I can't even remember his name, subhanAllah. He just tweeted at me some little talk that he gave. Um, young guy. And I said, you know what, I'll listen to it. What uh, I can't remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. But uh looks like a fal- Palestinian-American or something. I was about to say Palestinian. <laughs> Palestinian-American guy. Philistine. So he's, he brought up a great point. There are implicit religions and explicit religions. And explicitly, people might tell you they're Christian. People might even tell you they're Muslim. But if you actually look at their behavior... What guides their decisions from day to day and what guides their political principles and what guides how they buy and sell and what they wear, they're complete secularists. So they're secular humanists. So when push comes to shove, they're most likely going to go to the route of secular humanists, of course, right? So when we look at the implicit religion that people are upon, and I actually believe that secular humanism or liberalism, whatever you call it, should be categorized as a belief system. Because it's a set of principles that are not objective in any way, shape, and form. It's based upon belief, right? So you believe in them, and then it dictates your action. It even dictates what you would command and forbid. Like the Prophet ﷺ said, the highest of iman, or to complete your iman, you must love for Allah and hate for Allah, right? So you have to love things, hate things, command the good, and forbid the wrong, right? Well, what do liberals do when they actually practice their religion? They become social justice warriors. Right, secular keyboard warriors, we can call them as well, and they go in for command the right, and they forbid the wrong. Right, they start calling people out. They and some of them are extremists. There are like the extremist types that we have and 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 exist in every other religion. Right, you have some of them that'll publish people's addresses, right, on Twitter. That'll try to go after them, try to get them fired from their jobs, stuff like yeah. that. You know, so, uh, so so here's a here's a quote. Regarding what Dr. Shelley was just saying, and then I'll tell you who it was later. So it says, Christianity destroyed for us the whole harvest of ancient civilization, and later it also destroyed for us the whole harvest of Mohammedan civilization. The wonderful culture of the Moors in Spain, which was fundamentally nearer to us 
and appealed more to our senses and tastes than that of Rome and Greece was trampled down, and I do not say by what sort of feet. Why? Because it had to thank noble and manly instincts for its origin. Hmm. Because it said yes to life, even to the rare and refined luxuriousness of Moorish life. The crusaders later made war on something before which it would have been more fitting for them to have groveled in the dust. Mm -hmm. A civilization besides which that, besides which even that of our 19th century seems poor and senile. Mm -hmm. Very poor and very senile. What they wanted, of course, was to become rich, and mm -hmm. he goes on to the reasons for the crusades. And, and that's, that, that's Nietzsche. That, oh, good. Wow. That gives a good, give me a good point, because uh, amongst the people that I was going to list, like the, the Huns, Genghis Khan, okay, all these people, the, the Visigoths, the uh, Vikings, all these people. Well, the, what about the Crusaders? These yeah. were a barbaric people, right, who came upon Muslims, right, and, and spilt their blood, right? Now, Ibn Arabi, he has an amazing uh, saying. Ibn Arabi said he visited Egypt at one point. And they had just been, uh, they saw children lying around dead. He saw just uh, earthquakes and catastrophes, right? And he said, oh, Allah, these are, these are your people, right? And it, he received like a hatif, ilham, that said to him, uh, this doesn't come down on a people unless they had been permissive about zina. Right? Mm -hmm. So in the sense that even when it happens to the Muslims, it doesn't happen to, to pious, good Muslims who are upholding the deen, etc., etc. You don't find that these crusaders or the Mongols will come upon them in this way. Or the Reconquista in Andalus. When you read about what the Muslims were doing in the Reconquista and the Christians came and took over, you would not sympathize with the Muslims at all. You would That's realize hard. they deserved what they got. Okay. They were fighting each other and hiring, selling each hiring, other out and hiring Christian militias yeah. to fight on their side against the other Muslims. They were extremely pathetic and they were as pathetic as the Arabs are now today. Yeah, right? it was around pretty Palestine. much that's, yeah. a, that's a perfect example. Yeah, the Arabs around Palestine are no different than the tribes of Andalusia, the city states of Andalusia. So when these bar barbarians come upon us, there's always the people who they come upon are always a permissive people, a lax people who have. No real beliefs. They don't even believe in anything. And the only thing that uh, we, I could say that people believe in today is the right to have no law, right? Mm. Is permissiveness. This is the only thing that they'll get angry about. Mm -hmm. The right to be permissive. How dare you not believe and not support my permissiveness, my ability, right, to call myself whatever I am, whatever I want, to put my private parts wherever I want. How dare you, right, even think that you could limit that? Right. And permissiveness is basically it's the beginning of the end. That's interesting because like, um, you know, I, I never actually thought about the whole Reconquista bit. And that's very interesting. Um, but, you know, to I know you, you you were trying to connect this with, you know, that I mentioned the idea of seclusion. Mm -hmm. And then we met, we mentioned, you know, this masculinity piece. And I don't, I don't remember where that was going. Um, so. I want to bring it back to the idea of the seclusion thing. I'm not sure where we took the tangent. Mm. Um, but, you know, after all of these events, you know, that occurred, you know, this last weekend, you know, I, I know you wrote like a preface to, you know, the, the book Virtues of Seclusion. I yeah. didn't get to read it yet, you know, but maybe you can give us, you know, a little bit of insight on, you know, the benefits of seclusion. The idea why. of fitna is that there are three types of fitna. And two of them don't require seclusion. And one of them totally requires seclusion. And when I say seclusion, you have to understand it properly. I mean seclusion, it's like selective seclusion. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? So you could be totally active, but on this issue, you are totally mm-hmm. shutting the door, right? So seclusion doesn't mean you don't take your kids to soccer practice, you don't go to work. Seclusion means you shut certain doors. The first type of fitna is the fitna to al-ahli wal-walad, al-walad right? So fitna of family and wealth, and there's no way around it. You lose wealth, you gain wealth, it's a trial. You have great kids, you have no kids, it's a trial. You have a spouse that's great, you have a spouse that's horrible, it's a test. So you just, you got to live with that day in and day out. And uh, the Sahabi, Hudayfa uh, ibn al-Yaman said, If you're a man who prays and gives sadaqah, that will purify the mistakes that you make with family and wealth, right? As long as they're not major sins. So that's not a problem at all. The next one is the fitna that it, that is to raise a person's deen or lower it or purify them. So that fitna is like one of the rare things that comes upon a person, like once in a life or well, lifetime or once a decade, that is an odd situation. It's not a normal everyday fitna. Like going to work is a normal everyday fitna. Having wealth is normal everyday. But this is some weird thing that happens, an odd thing that happens, that either if you if you become worse as a Muslim, it's a punishment. That's how you interpret it. If you stay neutral in your deen, it's a purification. And if you improve, right? Like you totally change, you start improving, you become better, then that fitna was meant to raise you up. So that's the second type of fitna, which is the fitna of your of your uh, your deen to either. So is that like some random thing happening, like you know you getting cancer or? Yeah, you know? it's it's a big fitna that is not part of everyday life. Right. Like getting cancer is definitely not part of everyday life. Right, right, right. Losing your job. Having a divorce, right, is not part of everyday life. Losing a child, stuff like that. Um, Then you have the third type of fitna, and this is the fitna that the Prophet called mudallat al-fitna, the fitna that leads you astray. In fact, they said, don't say, oh Allah, protect me from fitna, right? Because in that case, you're saying, oh Allah, protect me from ever having wealth, a spouse, or, or kids, right? Because so the, the Sahabi used to say, don't say that, but rather say, oh Allah, protect me from mudallat al-fitan, the fitna that leads you astray, the fitna that's confusion, uh, brings your, brings people's iman down, that swaps good and evil, the fitna that rages and divides communities and families. That type of fitna, the answer to it is seclusion and seclusion of that issue. So Sayyidina uh, uh, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar, these Sahaba all avoided the civil war. They stayed home and locked the door during the civil war. Literally, they locked the door. And they had a shart that was publicly known. If you talk to me, do not bring up the subject. Like, they simply won't talk about it. Some Sahaba, and back in the day, you could amass enough wealth, right? Over time, it'd be completely self-sufficient and grow your own food and have your own animal. That literally, he has his own goat. He has a little patch of uh, land that he could farm some vegetables, right? And literally speaking, he'd go to the well, get his water, and stay home and pray in the masjid and back all day so that nobody could even broach the subject of the civil war, right? That occurred amongst the Muslims. So that's the fitna we're talking about. And it's very important as a practice not to expose yourselves to these fitna, fitna unless there is a necessity. Of course, Sayyidina Ali had a necessity to be exposed to. He's in the thick of it. He was the victim of it, actually. Right. And uh, uh, and and other reasons that you might have to be involved in it. But otherwise, this is our theory and our doctrine of seclusion, pertaining mm-hmm. to seclusion. Uh, you know, it's yeah. interesting, Dr. Shadi, you brought that up as an example because 
earlier I said that I'm just, you know, I can walk through all this stuff and it doesn't, I don't care about it either way. It doesn't affect me. And my, my heart doesn't change with Allah because of the stuff that goes on in the world. There is a subject that I absolutely shut down if somebody tries to bring it up. I mean, and it, and it makes me physically angry and it's that subject. No, it's the fitna of Sahaba. Yeah. That's, if anybody world. starts talking to me about that, I mean, mm-hmm. I give them one chance to stop. Yeah. Because other than that, you it's going to be a civil war in between us. I'm not <laughs> and, even and, kidding. And the Salaf used to say, Allah protected your hand from wielding a sword in that era. So now don't wield your tongue. Yeah, right? Ridiculous. Allah protected you from not being there. Right? Why are you bringing it up? Right. Right? With your tongue. Because you could equally get sins with your tongue from talking about right. the companions of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's part of our aqidah that we do not mention the Sahaba companions of the messenger except with khair mm-hmm. if you think that you can be their judge that is that person is completely deluded completely yeah. deluded but as far as like contemporary stuff you know my attitude is alhamdulillah fi kulli hal yeah and just i i always it is what it is um, uh, i i was, used to always look at the concrete elements of life right and that's what's really important these online dramas are really not really that important if you think about okay is someone going to take your job away is someone going to invade your home like, why yeah. do you need to get, why are you worried? Some people are so full of anxiety, right? Why? Be exposing yourself to fitzen. Ask yourself, uh, what's your, how's your, pa- your parents doing? Your kids doing? Your spouse doing? Your job? Your rent? Your bills? These are the important things in life. Your community, your masjid. And even if your community and masjid, by the way, if they start bothering you, you go home. You bring uh, your no. house. <laughs> <Right? laughs> There's no problem at all. Now to right? counter so. that though, right? Because there are people, like myself included, like when, you know, certain things and events will happen, right? You, yeah. You'll get anxiety, you'll get upset, and you'll be like, you yeah. know, what's happening, what's going on? And you can, you know, in theory say like, oh, you know, just shut your door, ignore it, you know, be in a state of seclusion. But like, what is like the spiritual practice to actually do it? You know, like how, uh, you mentioned like, okay, close yourself out from this event. What does that mean? Well, like, well first thing turn I- Turn off your Twitter? First thing I ask- For sure. <laughs> First thing I ask about, I ask is, in the sacred law, and in the customs, and in our community, or uh, in any by any standard, am I obligated to learn this information and to take any action? That's the first thing, and that's why I think knowledge is so important because people mess up on that the game plan. They never studied the playbook, so they're totally messing up on the game plan. And sometimes you do have to take action, and sometimes you don't. Right. Sometimes you don't. So that's the first thing I ask. Okay. And sometimes I ask people, right? I ask, hey, do we have, do we have any role in this? Do we have to say something? Yeah. Do we have to do anything? So I ask around because you, you never want to be, you can't be a know-it-all. You need to ask. In our religion, we ask. So we call that istishara. And then afterwards, if the answer is no, then the mere mention of the subject matter, I just turn it down. I shut it down. Right. I just shut it down. That's how simple it is. If I see that someone's about to broach the subject, I shut it down. And if there's someone associated with that subject who keeps bringing it up, I shut him down. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. One of the other things that I, I learned from someone else, obviously, it's not my own idea, but was just ask yourself honestly, is there anything you can do about this? Mm-hmm. Like actually What's required of me Not right like, now? oh, I can talk to people about it yeah. and convince my small group and each one teach one. No, like, can you actually change it yourself? No. 
then leave it alone. Yeah. Right. And and most things you can't, honestly, right? Yeah. Um, especially nowadays today, you know, when, when just things are just way too big, right? Even when we concern ourselves with, you know, a, a political rally that happened in, you know, North Carolina, for example, right? People will have so much anxiety, so much, you know, depression over it. And you realize, like, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, you can be, you can discuss it all you want, do all you want, right? But it's nowadays... And, and this is my question in regards to, you know, the, the idea of seclusion. Nowadays, everything feels like you need seclusion from it, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you select which issues you do pay attention to and which issues do you shut yourself off from, right? Like it's, it, that's that why in itself is yourself, the confusion. I feel like uh, what's useful is you ask yourself, what is required of me in any given situation? And if there's nothing required of you, then... Then there's there you have no business in that thing, yeah. right? So I, I think that's that's a that could be a simple you know rule of thumb, right? For like Alex was saying, like it, can can I do anything about this situation to benefit people? If yeah. not, then then really I have no place in in engaging with this. And the funny thing is, this is probably we're hard pressed to find an obligation that would force us yeah. to right. be on a tablet, phone, or computer, right? It's almost like anything you do on the tablet, phone, or computer is going to be ex- extraneous, not like extra thing that you don't have to do, right? And that's why I think knowledge- Often at the expense of things that you have to do. That's true. Yeah. It's almost always at the expense of something you should be doing, right? And the idea of um, living a simple life, excelling in your trade, learning a trade, and having a family, right? And then trying to transmit that as much as you can. This is what I'm telling you is the basics of a civilization- that you are going to pass down and continue and be the hallmarks of a solid civilization, uh, community and civilization, which are considered so old fashioned, but that's what works. It's old because it's always worked, right? And people today, uh, the virtual world has become the real world for, for many people. Yeah, yeah. And the actual mm. stuff that benefits you, I'm telling you, we're not doing it. And I'll tell you who else has a great willpower who is doing it, the Chinese, the Indians, and of course, they're after Dunya, but at least they, they're working at concrete things and they're not being idiots talking about subjects that really are so theoretical well this is ridiculous this is one of the dangers of having a lot of leisure time yeah that's what it is comfort and leisure lead to this rot okay it leads to rot and and that's what the west we're in we have so we're consumers we don't have to work as hard as anyone else in the world even though we do some people do work hard right and we have more than anyone else in the world and I'm telling you, it's rot, and it comes out in these dramas that we have to deal with, the Muslim Muslim Americans and Muslims in the English-speaking world, that have to deal with online. And if we fail to learn how to deal with it, eventually it's going to wear you down. Yeah, and, and, and on that point, right, mm-hmm. you realize uh, a lot of people you know, will say, and, and, and I replied to a comment that, that Tom posted, um, with regards to it, that a lot of people, you know, will, will say things like, oh, you know, the Muslim Ummah is, you know, now, you know, headed in the wrong direction or the world is going, you know, you know, it's, it's going crazy, which he's talking, he's talking about which Muslims, like, like liberal oriented Muslims. Yeah. 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 Okay. But I mean, let, for, to some degree it is, right? However, right. And, and I think about this a lot. And this is the comment I posted that a lot of times we, 
you know, who are, I would say, college educated, you know, white collar working Muslims, you know, get worked up a lot about things that we don't need to. Like my, uh, for example, I, I come from a very like blue collar family, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, my uncle who's working a 12 hour shift is like, you know, in a textile factory, you know, he's going to work, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning. Before that, he reads like one Joseph Quran. He goes, you know, he prays his Fajr. He goes to work. He's working hard all day. He comes home. At the end of the day, nine o'clock, he's not like, oh, you know, what did this feminist say about this? <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 That's true. <laughs> you know, and, and if I were yeah. to ask him like on a weekend, like, oh, what do you do on the weekend? What does yeah. he do? He mows his lawn. Yeah. Like he's, Fixing a shed. Yeah. Like, You're talking about India. Your, your no, no, here, here, oh, here, in America. here, okay. here. Yeah. Like you know, he's doing like, and, and if you ask him like, oh, what's going on? He'll be like, I don't know. You know, like yeah. I'm, not, telling not, you the, I'm telling it you, it doesn't <laughs> affect him at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we we've, <laughs> like, we've sort of lost focus on what actually moves society and civilization on, yeah. right? What moves it on? Yeah. And it's concrete stuff. Yeah. It's having a solid job with a quantifiable service or good that you're either producing or conducting for others. Yeah. Quantifiable. It's having a home in which the people come home at night and, and there's no siya'a, what we call siya'a. Siya'a means like going around and, yeah. and not having a home. I, yeah. I'm sure you understand. Your, your right. parents probably instilled that within you. Even, yes, your, your dad is Argentinian, right? Spanish, right? Uh, he's probably instilled that. There's no siya'a. Like you guys, just going around doing whatever. No, you got a home, right? right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you keep your family inside your home. At nighttime, you come home unless there's a reason. Yeah. That's called siya, right? You respect the dinner table. Stuff like very basic things. This is what's going to transmit society down the yeah. line. And um, modern people have, re in the West at They've least. They've got it backwards. We have totally lost this. And I guarantee you, right? It's not going, it's gradually those people will lose effects in society. Oh, yeah. And, and you mentioned that this, kind of, I didn't know it was called Siyah, right? But like, yeah. like this used to bother me a lot when I was a kid. Like we have strict rules in our house. Like after yeah. 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Like even when I'm here recording, my, my dad's like, you know, why are you not home? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like, don't you have a wife? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, so I'm going to hear it tonight. Like yeah. if I leave, yeah. like it's, but you know, it's been instilled in me. Like there's yeah. a certain time you have to be home. There's certain rules you have to follow. It doesn't matter if you're, 15 or you're 55 you know yeah even uh, <laughs> islamically when i was uh studying with a lot of converts and the this the other students were converts and oftentimes they were americans so they operated like americans right like there's no home the idea of a home is like mm -hmm. if you want to sleep here that's yeah. it's open the doors open yeah. that's the idea so they will be studying four months here three months there and i'm like how am i gonna keep up yeah. i have a big problem i can't keep up with you guys i gotta go home Right? right? You guys are out there until 1 a.m. studying with the sheikh, traveling with him, right? Going to another country with him. And how am I going to keep up with this? Right? And I can't, and by the way, let me tell you, most of those guys, it didn't work out that great with them. Mm -hmm. Right? So they were actually, their idea of this American ha household, like usually white American household, where I actually envied it because they had no rules and they never had to go home. Right? One, <laughs> one, one of them told me, one of them told me where uh, he said, "I haven't talked to my dad in four years." Yeah. I was like, "What?" I was like, "What happened between you and him?" He's like, "Nothing." I was like, "What do you mean?" Just been busy. <laughs> we just yeah, <laughs> nothing happened, right? He used to be like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "Going to call my my mom." Yeah. Right. Because because I was in Yemen, right? He's going to call my mom. He's like, "Wow, every day." I was like, wow. "Yeah, every day." What yeah. are you talking about? Man? I had the same yeah. experience when I was in, when I was uh, when I first went to college. I used to, I had a. I had a time when my mom would call, right? Yeah. Because this is pre-cell phones. Yeah. And so I had to be in my room to get the call. So whenever I was out with my friends, I'd be like, I got to get back by 8 o'clock because my mom calls me at 8. 
And so one of my friends was like, what is your mom? You're like your best friend? And I was like, no, she's my mother. It's yeah, more important yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You idiot. She just wants to call and see that I'm alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it, and, and you realize like, and it's, I, I, until you brought it up now, right? I never associated it with like only Western culture. I thought it was just, you know, like you mentioned the idea of Seattle. Like, I guess this is part of our tradition. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not just this concept and not to, you know, point out, you know, Western culture at all, but the idea of seclusion, family, uh, these types of things are embedded in. And, and this is my question. Is it just a Islamic thing or is it an Eastern thing? Actually, believe it or not, you know who else had that? The Catholics. In yeah. Europe, during the uh, Protestant Reformation, if you read about Thomas More and his family, he was someone who basically was fighting a tide. And with, he was like the chief mufti, you could say. And then his king, uh, what was, what's his name? The, the 14th, the guy who they Louis, always... Louis? The, the guy was a little nuts. He was like the Trump of that era. That's like, he had like 10 wives. They kept dying. Oh, Henry VIII. Henry VIII, yeah. He yeah. was the Trump of that era, oh, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. So Thomas More. Thomas More was his confidant friend in the early ages. And then he wanted to marry, get married to this other woman, get this divorce. And so Thomas More said, no, it's not in our religion. And he basically excommunicated or kicked out Thomas More, changed the religion of the land to Protestantism, something like that, basically. Anglicanism. Yeah. Which Anglican, is which is like a mix. Where the priest can get married. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and basically, Thomas More, at the end, he's witnessing the crumbling of the religion with all these Protestants coming in and changing everything. And he ended up in the end of his life in seclusion, and he was ended up being killed, right? Henry VIII killed him, had him beheaded, and he had taught his daughters that this religion, belief in God, is something you would die for. It's more important than your life. Right. So when it came time that he can't change his religion, he's going to die, right? Get, get killed. He had his family around him. He said, I have taught you this before, that this is the, the price that it takes, and now I'm going to pay the price. Yeah, it, it I think he had Henry. eight. It was Henry VIII. Yeah, I think he he had eight daughters or something like that. Did you just try to Google verify? And me? they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, fact checking. You. I was fact checking you. How dare you? Muslim <laughs> Muslims should learn. Muslims should learn that in this religion, you might have to take a hit. Right? It's what is different than I mean football. You had to take a hit, right? You can't play football without taking a hit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. How do you expect to advance in certain things without taking a hit? So how do you think you're going to walk in the path of God without taking a hit? And you're going to take a hit from liberals, maybe some other groups out there, but mainly from reformists. See, you know what? I don't even care about liberals. Wait, Sheikh, I thought yeah. we could just say we believe and we wouldn't be tested. That's the thing. Oh, that's, no, that's, the, that's, their that's their ayah. That's their ayah. No, their ayah. Well, what is this? No, the verse, the no. verse says, did you think verse, that you could you say you believe, believe and not, not get tested? Not oh, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, their verse is, we should say we believe and God should thank us. That's their verse. Yeah. That's their version of it, right? We should say we believe in our version. In our version, and, and God should recognize it. You right? should accept that from us. And, yeah. and other people should be tested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't even yeah. say we believe, because other people may not believe. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these uh, these, these It's like, I, th I think I believe, but you might not think I believe either. So <laughs> And one of the things I think that we should be part of our Islamic education is this ayah, this verse. Teach kids from now, right? This is a religion. It has a price. Paradise is is not any less than a university. You can't get in the university you want. You have to get accepted, right? Mm -hmm. And the harder it is to get accepted as a university, do we hate on it and call it intolerant? Or is it an amazing university? It's so hard to get into. I can't believe it, right? Wow. So what about what? Is, what do you think paradise is? Some kind of like uh, we're moving. We're we're swiftly moving towards the point where 
people will be saying that they'll be like Harvard is so exclusionary. Yeah. Oh my god, you right. have to actually study, read, <laughs> and do yeah. math, be literate. <laughs> they say that already. Yeah. <laughs> so I was saying actually that anything external is a second category when you talk about adversaries and enemies. If you're internally consistent, Allah tells you tells us they cannot harm you except very little, and if you survive it, you'll be stronger. Right? So, uh, they won't harm you except a little. Internal enemy, that's the real problem. Mm. So, I don't even care about liberals. To me, that's just another religion, right? Just like Christians out there, right? So, they hate, they hate us and say we worship the moon god, etc. The liberals say <laughs> that's another religion, right? They're both religions, in my view. And then the second one, that they believe that they're absolute and they should run the world based on their religions. The real problem is those who are influenced who are secular humanist Muslims and they haven't made a decision on which religion to join and so they want to combine the two and they get angry when people say, no, you can't combine the two. Yeah. So so liberal reform is basically a, someone who is between the two and hasn't made up his mind whether I'm going to be a Muslim and take the hits for that, but I can't really be secular humanist because I really, I don't know why. Honestly, I look at some of these people with their blogs why are you in this religion? Why? It's, make it make up your mind. I mean, some people might have might sincerely have this like attachment to Islam, even though not attachment to the Sharia or attachment to traditional ways of understanding or or attachment to reality. Mm -hmm. But they have an attachment to like, they they don't feel atheist necessarily. I think right? it's more like they have an attachment to like cultural Islamic emotional culture. thing, yeah. right? Like eating, like eating like eating pakoras in Ramadan. No, the identity right? of being. Yeah. But I think yeah, like, what, what Saad just said. I think that. More and more, what you find in some, especially some of these like really active internet type people, is that they have an attachment to this minority oppressed identity Idea. that they can call on. Because, you know, their father's a doctor. They're going to an elite university. Yeah. They've never worked a day in their life. Their life is going to be pretty simple. How can they claim oppression and, 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 and <laughs> yeah. minority status, patriarchy yeah. and all that kind of stuff if they can't? Yeah. Be have some minority status if they're atheists. All of a sudden, they're just general. They're just general. Yeah. Well, that and like people have emotional I'm, like connections to this, right? It's like, oh, you know, now I'm not going to be able to eat bakuras in Ramadan with my aunts. Yeah, you, you know, know what? Like, I'm not going to yeah. be able to. You Maybe know, that's it. If it's the political thing, the ability to claim minority status, then I would say, I wish you would just call yourself Egyptian American minority. Call yourself Palestinian American minority, right? Call yourself a uh, Daisy American him, minority. That doesn't give him a. Uh, it's not big enough. A, uh, yeah, it's because yeah. Trump. A, Trump hasn't exactly, gone after a unifying them. cause. Yeah, yeah. So these are the types. Those are the types that are the real because uh, their blog problem. Goes down. Huh? Can write about that exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, dude. If the internet goes down, liberal reform is dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's no brick and mortar thing. That, there's no place that they gather. There's no. They don't even have a doctrine. All their doctrine is what they're against. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's it. I mean, think about it. If the internet goes down, right? How are they going to go with their Apple laptops true. to 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 Starbucks, Starbucks. jump on the Wi-Fi, yeah. and complain yeah. about the evils of capitalism? Exactly. Since <laughs> since there's something <laughs> wearing chase shirts. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and by the way, if you look at all these people, right? The, the people who are who are like famous. How do we always get back on this topic? Yeah. Because oh because my god, <laughs> Wi-Fi is a human right. <laughs> <laughs> Because these are the this this is the people of our generation that are that are that are in the way and they're causing all the problems and that if you just push that generation aside those people if you win this battle you're gonna be fine if you lose this battle you're gonna be in trouble actually you're not gonna be in trouble 
Islam is the religion of Allah, and he will take care of it. We're playing with house money, by the way, yeah, in the sense that's right, that that's right. just the fact that we're in the fight against these people, right, and trying to learn the deen as it is and transmit it faithfully, you've already won in the sight of Allah, right? You're going to die, and inshallah, Allah accepts from us, mm-hmm. we're going to get our reward either way. For them, liberals and secular humanists, and by the way, they're fighting uh, on many fronts because the right-wingers are gaining power everywhere, including Germany recently, uh, they are. Um, if they lose, they're totally done. They're not getting anything in this life or the next, and that's what Quran tells us. You are fighting for something that they're not fighting for, right? You have something that's coming that they don't have, right? And so, therefore, we can we can be loose. We could be to- and we could be totally loose, even if we lose in this dunya. What is, what's the worst they could do? Like, actually, Ibn Taymiyyah said this. What is the worst they could do to me? Kick me out of the country? <laughs> right? Fine, I'll travel around. Yeah. Anyway, they kick you out of the country. You go to Turkey. Right? Okay, go to Turkey. What's wrong with that? Right? You work yeah. online. Dude, you can open a podcast and be like a Ben Shapiro every day and you're going to make a ton of money. More than you're making right now. Not only that. Right? If you speak English, you'll oh. do really well in Turkey. Yeah, you'll do really well. So, I'll move around. If they put you in jail, we'll make it thicker all day. We have a spiritual base, by the way. And that's why all Muslims should have spiritual training. You should train yourself. What happens if I'm totally alone? What am I going to do? Flip yeah. out? No. I'm going to learn how to remember Allah. I'm going to ask you about that next. Yeah. So, let me Can see. I give a quick shout out to President yeah. Erdogan? Erdogan. He, 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 they, I just saw, I was reading in like the, the uh, socialist uh, worker, whatever the newspaper yeah. online is. They were complaining. They were crying because he he removed Karl Marx from the sociology no. uh, <laughs> curriculum for textbooks. Yeah. We're not studying Marx anymore. <laughs> out, out, with yeah, out. <laughs> out with the nonsense. Out with the nonsense. And they were like, oh my God, he removed Marx. And they added a celebration of, of their prophet's birthday yeah. week. <laughs> oh like they were gosh. complaining about both things simultaneously. Yeah. Like, how can you take out Marx and celebrate Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Didn't they just take out all the civil war guys, right? <laughs> from everywhere? It's different. What's it's a, different. You know? It's different. It's different. So <laughs> with the secular, recently some secular, some secular group, some really some lame group, they went off and said, um, talked about me and said, this guy's homophobic and everything. Like, you know, your terms mean nothing to me, by the way. I ain't scared of you. <laughs> I mean, I don't even believe in your standard to begin with. It's just like a Christian saying this guy is against the Bible. I'm like, I don't believe in your source to begin with. Right? So there was an interesting turn recently. Some this group HRC is like human rights. I don't know what this stands for. Human Rights Commission. It's some gay group. Oh, the, uh, pro pro not, LGBT rights group. Oh, okay. They uh they were putting a lot of pressure on Isna to include um, like lesbian and transgender and gay speakers and events and to hope, have booths and literature and all that kind of stuff, right? To try to basically say you have to accept homosexuality in your religion. We don't care what your religion teaches. 50 minutes in, we hear again. <laughs> <laughs> well, but this is related and it's relevant, right? Yeah. So when Isna was Talk like, that's too far, we'll let people go on stage who are very pro-LGBT and speak, right? A lot of the speakers, actually. Yeah. But they're, we're not going to actually promote that. Not this year. Maybe in a few years. But right now, they didn't do it for 2017. So they went to some like super right-wing uh, publication website to complain about how Isna was like Sharia, Salafi, Wahhabis, right? And yeah. that, that right-wing website linked up with the, with the gay rights group to be like, yeah, see, look at what's happening in our own backyards. These yeah. extremist, homophobe, m- Muslims. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So alliances, yeah. the enemy of my enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. at this point, what you were talking about and the people were reacting is about doing alliances with these groups. Yeah, you, if you. The only the only reason to do it is because you're scared that they'll align with someone else. Exactly. And you, you know, you know what's really interesting though. 
people will like you know the, the LGBT groups or you know any of these liberal groups. They'll say that okay, we have this you know ideology and all this stuff, and we're against all of you. Their ideology is going to change in like four That's years. That's true. That's right? totally true. Like they might turn around and be like, oh, you know, the Muslims they got it right. Four That's years, true. right? It changes every. Like it, it changes it could like change every at, It could yeah. change at a pin drop, right? Yeah. So it's like you can't even believe anything they exactly. say because it's like you might be saying you're not like, on stable ground. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and this is the case. Like you look at what liberals were saying, like in like. Four years ago, not even that long ago, four yeah, to five right. years ago, and now the whole landscape is totally it's changed. Like, Clinton I, I, in listen, the in ninety four, Clinton was cutting yeah. edge liberal, right? Yeah. And look at his stuff; he had to retract half of it. What yeah. he said about gays in the military, homosexuality, yeah. gay marriage, right? He had to retract half of it. But remember that thing, that picture from Ontario for that teachers seminar teaching them tolerance. How long the acronym had? Gotten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like letters and numbers, it was yeah. so yeah. crazy. No, no, the new acronym is going to be everything minus like whatever letters and acronyms that are left out. But everything you know except heteronormative. Yeah. But you know what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to be like they're going to realize this is ridiculous. Yeah. And then it's going to shift back the other way around. Right, like th- this is what I'm saying. You never know where it's going. Yeah, right? and and I'm I'm telling you, uh, anyone who is who is jumping on this bandwagon because it is a bandwagon and a trend and nothing more. And I question half the people's real sincerity about when they say I'm I'm this or that. Uh, it's a fringe be- issue. You know? It's a fringe issue because anyone alienated is just going to jump on this bandwagon. And if it was the 50s, he would have been a communist. If it was the 70s, he would have been a hippie. And today he's gonna be uh, a what a letter, right? A letter. A letter. He's gonna be one of these letters. <laughs> right? Alphanumeric. One, he's gonna be one of these letters in the uh, Q I T two S A whatever. Okay, so that it's just for alienated people. It's Don't a give your super... Wi Fi password. <laughs> uh, podcast. Actually, <laughs> I should make that my Wi Fi. Actually, what, what dude? What, no, nobody would guess, bro. What are the chances? What are the chances? According to the evolutionary theorists, there's the, there's the Darwinists. You know, the chances of Darwinists of, of of evolution is probably the same as the chances of someone's Wi Fi password actually being LGBTQPSI2SA whatever, right? You know, they say the the evolution, the yeah. chances of evolution is. Uh, uh, it, uh, for a monkey to play, uh, well, for a, a monkey to play, uh, to type out, to type out Shakespeare, all the Shakespearean sonnets and plays and whatever. You heard about that? Yeah. Like the chances of well, evolution. Evolution. Darwinists would say that a monkey did. Yeah, that's <laughs> so basically. Yeah, true. Or the son of a monkey, Ibn Monkey. Right? <laughs> so, the descendant of a monkey. But the, you you know that they say that. Bandar. Right? <laughs> um. So now. Now that we, I'm going to bring this back from the, the bring game. Bring it back. Yeah. Bring it back, bring it back from the man. gay thing. Wait, wait. Okay. Be, be, before, can I, I had something that I wanted to have been with before, and then we took that left turn, which is um, just related to what you were asking, Dr. Shadi. Not my own words. This is from. Left uh, turn, no pun intended. Yeah, left turn, no pun intended. <laughs> or maybe pun intended. <laughs> this is from Abu Hassan Ashadi, from his Sheikh, Abdul Salam al Mashish, who said the best of spiritual works are four things after four things. Mm. Love of Allah, satisfaction with what Allah has destined, non-attachment to the world, and trust in Allah. After having performed what Allah has made obligatory, mm. avoided what Allah has forbidden, having patience in leaving what does not concern one, Critical. and scrupulousness and shunning mere amusement. That's it. That's the yeah. formula. So now my question, yeah. on top of that, on top of what Alex said, um, is when you go into seclusion and you, you know, even you cut yourself off, you mentioned dhikr, um, 
a lot of times, and, and I'll, I'll just use my own personal example, and maybe you know, there's folks out there that will connect with me. Um, a lot of times, you'll do things, especially today, where you live in a world that's, you know, everything must be, you know, productivity, 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 right? People have like calendars, they have yeah. apps like Trello, and all these things to, you know, synchronize their lives and make everything yeah. productive, right? And many times you'll always get this thing. It's like, oh, you should always be doing things that are productive, yeah. right? And sometimes you'll get, you know, you'll try to do like, for example, I, you take like a class online, right? You take like a couple of classes and you were like, this is not going anywhere. Now I'm being unproductive. I'm wasting my time, yeah. right? And yeah. for me, and, and maybe other people can connect with me, many times, you know, you'll be doing something of the dean and even though you don't want it to consciously, you feel that, that, that attitude of like, mm. you know, am I being productive? you know, seeps in. Like, how is this dhikr, you know, going to help my dunya? And what's really strange is that it's a paradox in a sort, right? Because the dhikr will help your dunya, but temporarily, you know, it is difficult, right? Like, people, like, try to romanticize it, like, oh, it's not difficult. Yeah, I feel like that's just a simple case of people defining what productivity is in in a twisted sort of way, right? Like, what we think is productive versus unproductive is not actually accurate. But don't we all do that? The framework, you got to constantly break the framework. How do you do it though, right? Like, that's my question. How do you do it? Like, I think we all do it unconsciously. Just living. Do you know how, you know how I do it is, and this is why the religion actually requires us to serve our elders, is I think about the elders. I think about old people. And then I ask myself, where, what am I going to be? I say to myself, like, that's actually where you're headed, right? And senior citizens, old people, people who are like, got, Years, I mean, their parents are, their, their, their kids are planning their funerals already. You know, their kids are rushing to get his will into the lawyers because that's how close it is, right? And, and when you think of that, that's the real perspective. That moment in time, that period of time, it could be 10 years sometimes, right? right. Wait, waiting to die. That is actually the real thing. That moment, that period of time, that's the real thing. What we're in now is not. In our middle of life period is not, Okay. Alex just put two things on the table. Are these jacks or bullets? They're the adapters to go from the uh, 3.5 million. Because as yeah. I don't know if the listeners know, but Alex is a big gunman. He's got like Uh-oh. guns all over the place. No, right? I'm not shy about it. I'm, a, I'm an NRA member. <laughs> which, is, which is excellent because anything you know masculine is sort of going extinct. With, so we got to do the reverse but anyway uh, it's all legal by the way yeah. and because i live in new jersey the government actually has all my serial numbers and everything else yeah. he said <laughs> he's, he said disappointingly <laughs> yeah so what I, what i'm saying is when i look at senior citizens and i feel like and i see how they view the world their career doesn't matter anymore yeah right okay they did it great usually if they they were lazy they have a little bit of regret but if they did it great right and, and you start seeing their priorities, and we Muslims have to realize that the way they view the world is the way the world is, mm-hmm. because they are on the brink of the next life, so they have the freshest perspective on the real world. And this is a, a, a radical shift from how a regular secular person views the world. So, you, so you're right. saying like view the, view the yeah. world as like older people do, right? Yes, yeah. and because these are the people on the brink. Yeah, because right? they're dealing with the inevitability of their mortality, which I feel like most people don't really think about day to day. By right? the way, even most secular or you know non-religious old people don't. They actually, it, it's 
sometimes the worst part of their life mm-hmm. because they they leave work. Yeah. And I I have a fr- I have a really good friend who's a doctor who tells me some about his older patients, and it's very consistent. They come in, they're obviously not telling me any names or details, no HIPAA violations, but he tells me just the generality of it. And they'll come in and they'll be like, I don't know, I can't sleep, or I'm have so much anxiety, or I'm so depressed, or you know, I'm losing this, or I'm gaining, or I feel this illness. And almost across the board, the problem is that they retired, yeah. or their children moved out, mm-hmm. or their kids got married, or the grandkids moved to another state. And, the, and the, they're like, I have nothing going on in my life, and I have nothing to live for. Yeah. And the iceberg, you know, 90% of it's under the water. Right. For If you have no belief, I, I, then there's like nothing the under issue. the water. It's You're the just issue. floating around. And we're a people of belief. So every once in a while, I always think back, I think, like, what's going to matter when you're an old man? And I've seen a lot of people, that's the benefit of going to the masjid and why Allah has told us, go to masajid, you know, go to the houses of Allah, you're going to see old people, right? You're going to see young, you're going to see everything, right? You're going to have a very healthy view. You're going to see kids and you're going to see people that are sitting down and they can't even walk, right? right. You're going to see everything. So it gives you a holistic view of things. Like the 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 way I mean, like productivity, for example, right? Well, then you got to ask yourself: Do you believe you have a soul or not? Well, right. L- l- and you got to take care of it. Let me preface it though. So, for example, right, um, a person may be doing dhikr, right, um, or reading Quran, for example, right, and you might think, you know, am I being productive with my deen? You know, should that, I be learning? Should I be, should I be learning giant. like uh, fiqh instead? Should I be helping my mother instead? Well, that's that. Well, maybe. That's you're helping your mother is good. Yeah, that's something that goes back to what we said earlier of the fiqh of priorities. Yeah. Right? There are priorities. Just mm-hmm. like you asked, like, how do you know when to, what kind of thing to unplug from? It's you have to have knowledge of priorities to answer the question, am I obligated to do something about this online drama that's going on? Because you, maybe you do and maybe you don't. And then what form of it is another set of knowledge. Right? And that's where I feel like, you know, maybe... Because uh, the the way I see myself in this table here is, you know, I, I, I'm pretty much a layman. And maybe there's other laymen that connect with me, especially in the Muslim, you know, American population, which is, you know, even when you learn Islam, you know, you, you we tend to forget, like, where the priorities lie. Should I be helping, you know, my neighbor or should I be sitting and doing dhikr? And, and you know, what actually ends up happening is you end up doing nothing. Yeah. Right, you don't end up helping your neighbor, and you don't end up doing thicker because <laughs> you have too just, many options. You right? have too many options. You you're so confused, and you have that like Western mentality of like you know everything must be productive, including yeah. your dean. Right? And by the way, I have to uh, break the idea that uh, the idea of laymen and scholars. Some of the ulama actually break that. They say the alim is every alim is at least uh, the max he is is a, an advanced student of knowledge, mm. and the layman is also a student of knowledge going at a slower pace. Right, every Muslim, if you yeah. think about it, is a student of knowledge. It's just maybe some people give an hour a week. If you go to Jummah, you learn something, right? Well, sometimes actually, sometimes you don't. Depends on you don't. Depends right? on where you go. <laughs> sometimes you unlearn. Things. Yeah, sometimes you unlearn. I was about to say. So, I mean, every every Muslim who's involved, okay, in the, in his deen is going to be learning at some pace or other. That's right? true. That's true. And what is a scholar? You think scholars stop learning? And I'll tell you because the reformists. the reformists, they love to put a target around imams and scholars, right? Mm. So they want to break it off and say it's us and scholars, okay? It's not this, and it's activists and it's scholars. And then some people, they like to teach the deen and mess around at the same time and say, you know what, I'm not a scholar. Wait, wait a second. Why are you talking about the dean? Yeah. It drives like, me nuts. Like you got you got like books. You got thousands of hours on YouTube. And you say, I'm not a scholar. What do you mean you're not? Then don't talk. 
right? It's true. It's true. Think it's true. It. It's true. Don't talk about the, the, the fiqh. Don't talk about anything. We are all students of knowledge at different rates. That's Sheikh, all it is. This might be self-serving, but there is one excuse when you literally are not a scholar or anything even close to it and you still talk is because somebody in authority has told you to and mm-hmm. then you have no choice because you're yeah. supposed to obey. Mm-hmm. So I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever see me giving a khutbah to like little yeah. kids or something, may Allah forgive me, but Dr. Shani made me do it. And, and now we're teaching with uh, both from... Uh, uh, Hamza Yusuf, for first teacher, first person to study fiqh with, uh, you know, may Allah preserve him and, and, and give him Jannah. Uh, and also, uh, and Habib Omar, wajib, everything that you learn, you are obligated to use every means to transmit it. Right. Right. While this not taking you away from seeking knowledge, right? And doing, uh, self purification. Right. So the three have to be balanced knowledge, purification, and dawah. Ilm, suluk dawah, they call it. Right. right. So, so going back to the question, though, right? Yeah. Which is like, what? Fine. If you know, let's say we're all students of knowledge, but how do you balance like that productivity? You know, like can you give okay, us like, a so, breakdown? Yeah. The way I look at it is, I always ask, um, you know, ask the mashaykh of the time, what do you think is a decent amount of uh, uh, dhikr every day or Quran every day? And in the same way that you would ask a physically fit person, like we here would ask if we wanted to get physically fit somehow. Uh, that got in our mind. Crazy idea. Ah, ask Ahmed Fahmi, right? Well, how much should I jog a day? He, he's going to be the mufti on the subject, right? I, I take exception. That guy's too thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? So you would ask your friend, who is physically fit? What do I do? Right? And he'll tell you, okay, just jog 20 minutes, 10 minutes a day, then 15 minutes a day, then by the end of the year, 20 minutes a day, stuff like that. So in the same vein, you would ask. And what I have received back is that nobody can not do everyone can do a word of morning word of evening or 20 to 40 minutes of the daily if he can and if he misses a day or two because of emergency situations not a problem so like 20 to 30 minutes of this is the anecdotally speaking this is what people are talking about and if you reach an hour excellent if you are seasoned that means closer to retirement. Like you're older, your kids are out of the nest, you're seasoned now, and life is changing for you, that you have more room, more time. You now start pushing into the 90-minute zone and the uh, two-hour zone and the three-hour zone up to the four-hour zone, mm-hmm. right? And I've never seen anyone do more than, talk about more than four hours, unless you're in like a khalwa, that's a specific situation, mm-hmm. but with with monitored, by the way. Uh, but I, what I, when we, when we hear people talk, we hear people who are so who are uh, advanced in years in this dean talking about four hours because the time allots for it. And if you think about it, uh, going out to a, uh, watch a ball game takes ten it takes six hours. Right. And if you're driving, some people drive far to watch the game. The whole game is three hours. Driving and all that adds another two hours. So the idea of doing something for four or five hours is not extreme. It's not going to make you crazy. It's no. not going to make you a weirdo. I used to go to Phillies right? games from yeah. New Jersey. That's an and- hour drive. I we I would leave at around four o'clock. Yeah, um, be back at nine, to catch 10? the 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 seven o'clock game and be back no like at eleven eleven thirty eleven thirty. So you spent uh, so that's that seven hours seven, seven hours. and a half seven and a half by hours. the time I got home. Right. So if a if a Muslim is pushing and I'm saying seasoned veterans, why do I have to say seasoned veterans? Spirituality does stuff right, and one of the things it does is raises up veils. It raises veils up for a person, 
And when these veils are raised, both angels and shayateen can influence, can get through. Right. Right. It's, it's a fact. Ask any sheikh of Tasawwuf, he'll tell you. Both angels and shayateen could whisper things to a person. That's why that person must be, if he's going to go that much, he must be seasoned. He preferably he's older, right? Right. Advanced. He knows his daruriyat. He knows his deen inside out. Now, but for common us, common people like us, we're talking 20, 30, 40 minutes. So what, what is that? What huh? is? Don't be a kurd. Yeah. Have it with it. wird, fahu kurd. Sheikh Abdul Rahman is a kaf. Whoever doesn't have a wird is a kurd, which is a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, he, and he meant by that a regular routine. Yeah, Regular so routine. 20, 30 minutes, like what does that mean? Just reading Quran? Does it mean like the, sitting down in a corner? You read like la ilaha illallah? Like what does that mean for a regular person? Okay, so the adhkar, that is the basic you could say, is a person takes a wudu, he prays his obligatory and his sunan, right? And then he looks at his clock and he looks and he says, we'll go until like 3.30. It's 3 o'clock, I'll go to 3.30, right? And he begins with some istighfar. He begins with recitation of Quran. Nothing should pre- go in front of recitation of Quran. Uh, istighfar is to clean out his intention And after Quran After that, it's anything, right? Salah on the Prophet Dua The best is One time there was a uh, a devotee And he was complaining to his sheikh He said, I do so much dhikr But I feel nothing It's just like a dry well The sheikh said, you remember Allah So that you could feel good Do you ever call on him? Mm. Right? Call on him Do you weep to him For what you want or what you're afraid of? That is truly what bra- takes down your ego. And that's truly what you benefit from. So if, and by the way, if all a person did was weep to Allah for what they want or what they fear, that would be the best, honestly. And our Shaykh said, if you don't weep to Allah, who, what do you, you feel, are you that comfortable? Right? Don't you fear anything? Don't you desire anything? And he said, with Allah, you weep. Because all of the anbiya and all the prophets wept with Allah and you make yourself weep. Because of that's the tadallul, the lowness, right? The humility, the fear and humility, right? That we need to have. Umar bin Khattab, people don't realize that he actually etched in his skin. From the tears. They were marks. It's insane. And also they said his eyes did not look healthy from at his death, from how much he would weep. And some of the sahaba went blind. And many of the awliya went blind from too much weeping. So the idea that you weep to Allah Azza wa Jal, this is the height of your ubudiyah, servanthood. Mm. Because what's the goal of all this? To actualize our being servants. Right. Right? Not merchants with Allah. Not, you know, anything other than a servant. Right? And you weep to your God and your Lord. And this is the best thing for the heart. Subhanallah. I mean, it's very true, and that's why it's it's hard to the the thing about the paradox that I was talking about is many times you know we think like uh, you know doing dhikr is is difficult in the beginning, right? But the the rewards of it in this dunya and in the next, right? They're they're you know immense, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that we don't realize that everything takes hard work, right? And it takes patience and it takes time, right? We think like you know you're you're gonna do one thing, you know. Do it for five minutes and it's over. Once you do that dhikr over time, like, you know, I do my morning widget that I've doing it for a while now. And you don't notice the change, you know, the first, you know, two days. But I've noticed that, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how am I able to do 
so much in my day. And I think I credit it to my morning dhikr. Like I have so much barakah in my day and time to be able to do so many different things. And, and, and I would credit it to having like that state of mind from doing the wird in the morning. And I'm sure other people can relate it to it, but it's, uh, I think it's important to have like that seclusion and being able to find that time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something that might be offensive to a lot of people. Inshallah, not none of the people that listen to this, but mm-hmm. somebody might be picking it up for the first time and be like, wow, these you know, but it's prophetic advice. Remember death. Subhanallah. Often. Subhanallah. Like, really remember death. Know that, a- accept in, in that you're dying. Subhanallah. There's no question about it. Yeah. Right? And I meet a lot of people. And um, I'm talking about non-Muslims, like I work and stuff. And sometimes I broach the issue, right? Like, I'll, if I get to know you after a while, I won't be like, what do you think about death? But I'll find a way to work it into a conversation. Mm. With, without exception, the people that I like the most are the ones who are like, yeah, what are you going to do? Right? It's going to happen. And the ones that are like, oh, I can't, right? So I don't know what to tell you, man. Yeah. If that's, it's, it's, it's the most, happen. it's the most guaranteed thing on the face of the earth. You might as well just figure it out, right? But, yeah, like, I mean, figure like what's, and, and we take a, that for granted, right? Muslims think mm-hmm. about death often, right? Like all the time. Inshallah, we do. Right. Inshallah. And, but, but sometimes we think about it not necessarily putting ourselves in that place. Like the remembrance of, like the ulama of the past. The pious ulama from the salaf would actually dig a grave and lay in it. Mm. Like this was their actual spiritual practice. Like yeah. it's not enough. They would go to visit graveyards regularly. Caskets it, in their homes sometimes. Yeah. Casket and, and in his is, home. And this is not morbidity. Yeah. For no, people yeah, who might go, this is crazy. Yeah. This is not morbidity. This is realism, yeah. right? Because this is this is your gonna this is gonna be your abode. Unless you die yeah. shaheed yeah. and then yeah. you you skip that part. This is going to be your abode for a long time. And the first mm-hmm. thing you're going to see in that abode is two frightening angels whose voices are like thunder, right? Mm. Who come at- <laughs> Subhanallah. And- Man Rabak. Subhanallah. And then, then what? That's it. Right? Do you know the answer? answer? Yeah. Sorry. And he, yeah. and, and by the way, by the way, if, if I can get a casket on sale, I'm getting one. I have <laughs> yeah. a room upstairs, right? I mean, on sale, you just get, get, a, just get a pine box. Like, get to, or get some plywood, make your own. Put it at yeah, NBIC. I make my own. Put it at no, NBIC. No, yeah, I got a room at home. I said, think, I think to myself, okay, if everyone, I don't know, if, if the liberals come after me with a torch someday, and they're outside, I'm fine in this room. I'll die right here. I'll live and die in this room. I have no problem with it. What, like, what do I want from the dunya? What do I want? Right? Yeah. That's the other if, thing. What do I want from the dunya? So, so I've done my job. Yeah. I hope that, and I, I know for sure, Allah takes care of the beloved ones, of people who are sincere towards Him. So I'll leave that to Allah Azza wa Jal. What is anyone going to take away, right? And I don't want to say it like, like a challenge, right? Because <laughs> don't ask, don't make claims, or else Allah will take you on your claim, right. right? So we ask Allah to be latif with us. But I always do this mental exercise, right? What if you die today? Yeah. What if I? What if they? I died today. What if I couldn't do anything? What if I was in jail? What if I was in house arrest? What if I was on my deathbed, right? Yeah. What would my life be like? And I would say, honestly, I have a, you have a lot of internal conversation with your Lord by reading his book, Salawat on the Prophet Sallallahu And it's just a matter of getting yourself used to longer hours of it. Yeah. And right? you know what's funny is um, it's not just non-Muslim people who will feel comfort- uncomfortable. It's If you find non-practicing Muslims, mm-hmm. right? Like they will feel very uncomfortable with talking about death, right? Um, and just not being around anymore. If you ever go to like, uh, I mean, to be they're, fair, they're gonna be around yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but like, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be around. If, but, uh, but that isn't to say that it's not that it's um, 
it's a comfortable thing, right? It shouldn't be comfortable. That's that's the whole point is that it should be something that you ponder about, not necessarily mm-hmm. like, hey, like, you know, like, it's, it's great. Like, you know, no, it's, no, not, no. it's not the no, idea it should either. Be, you should be, fr- you yeah, should be afraid exactly. of it. Like, you yeah. know what? You sh- it should be like uh, uh, a business. They're about to get audited or a student about to go to an exam. So even the best of them will have some butterflies. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be happy that when the angel's death come. And you'd rather not have to take the exam. Yeah, yeah you'd rather exactly. not. But at the same time, it's far different. You're far different from the one who didn't prepare at all, who's, who messed up on his, uh, his, his money, right? And he's going to get slammed. By the audit, that guy is suicidal. Or the one who knows, right? Or the one who knows he's been fudging the books. Exactly. Those guys are suicidal. That's true. Not nervous. There's a big difference between, because Sayyidah Aisha said, Oh, Master of Allah, we all hate death. He said, No, he's not saying that you love death. He said, You love to meet your Lord. Yeah. There's always that one brown kid who really wants to take the exam. (laughs) So, (laughs) Shahid. Yeah. His name is Shahid. Uh, <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. That was good. <laughs> that was good. So, you, when you think about this, you got to think of what could I possibly have done wrong in this life, right? And then you go back and fix it. Every time you think about death, you don't think about what you're missing out on this life. You don't think about. You think about what could I possibly have done wrong? What do I regret? Mm-hmm. And then the more you think about it. The more you eliminate things that you regret because you go out of that meditation session, you could say, and you fix it. You change it until there comes a point where you say, oh, Allah, I cannot think of what I did wrong. I'm sure I did something wrong, right? Without knowing. So Mm -hmm. I make a stighfar for what I think I might have been wrong. And I also make a stighfar for any lack of sincerity, right? Any lack of sincerity in my worship. And you always, you never assume that your ibadah was accepted. Right, you never assume that it's haram to assume that actually, uh, but you start praying that it's accepted, and uh, you move on. That's how the Sahaba were. And then the other thing that Dr. Shadi was saying to summarize it to like uh, put it into a sentence is, have talking with Allah, mm. right? Like, okay, whatever happened, I trust mm-hmm. in Allah. Yeah, and I'll uh, and I'll tell you what that benefits for is that many women do not like to think of death because of their maternal instinct. That, oh, I got to take care of my kids. I have to see them married, right? But wait a second. Hold on a second. Yeah, you do have to do that. You don't think there's a law? Right. It's not like you're saying, we're saying leave everything. We're not saying change your action, but you're saying, wait a second. If you're, if you're gone, you don't think there's a Lord to take care of them? Yes, it's going to be bad. Orphans, it's it's a disaster to be an orphan. Big calamity. Right. But that's not going to stop you from thinking about meeting a law. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's from shaitan at that point. You, yeah, you, you do both. You, you do both. You have to have tawakul. You do both. You think about meeting Allah. You know it could happen tomorrow, and you take care of your kids. So, and also something I I, I heard from Sheikh Hamza once, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, that hope and fear. Right? We know about this. The two wings of the believer. Um, we should we should be hopeful in Allah's mercy, and we should be fearful for our for our actions. But he said that. When you're approaching death, if you know that death is coming, right? Mm-hmm. If you die shaheed, it's a sudden death and you're not aware. That's a different story. Mm-hmm. But if you know that death is approaching, either you're getting very old or you have some illness that's bringing you towards it. He said that's the that's no longer the time for fear. It's the time simply for hope. For hope, correct. Mm-hmm. At that point, you just have to have a lot of hope and and be and not cheerful, but be uh, don't be fearful. Right. That that time for being fearful is it's over. There's nothing you're gonna do now anyway, right? Yeah, and and like it's winding down. And speaking of that, 
you know, someone who's about to go through this is uh, our old friend, Osama Cannon. Mm-hmm. I give a mm-hmm. shout out to Osama Cannon. May Allah Azza wa Jal be with him. And I am sure 100% because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are either with his blessings or you're with him. Right. Because Allah says, the, why didn't you visit the sick? If you would have visited him, you would have found me there. This is where the scholars get the idea that when you are sick, Allah is with you. Right. Okay. So uh, he's he, he has his uh, sickness, ALS, which is, you know. At, uh, the doctors it, say it's 100% fatal. Allah alone controls and, these things. But And what's the time gap on that? About five years, okay. three to five. Okay, no, so like there is someone fall, you know? he's got. He, he, I mean, some people, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking has ALS. So yeah, okay. But generally, so, it's it's from from the time of diagnosis, it's no more than five. So yeah. you know, may Allah give him shifa. May Allah give him I to try and reach out to him, uh, pick him up on the phone, but he's obviously um, busy in more important things right now. But that's someone you think about it. What what's how do you think about life at that point? I say honestly, as a believer, I believe he's chosen. Think about this. This is not a world, if you're in a da'wah, this is not a world that you want to be part of. This is not a fight that you're you're going to enjoy. This is nothing you're going to enjoy. It's so politicized. It's so nasty. It's a nasty fight, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got so many uphill battles, right, in dealing with the things that he deals with, right? So, you know, the idea that you're going to make him sick and be purified, okay, you're yeah. chosen. I, that's how I view it. I and, can't view it in any other way. And there's another beautiful thing to think about in this example is that you look at you look at. So we were talking about productivity and people saying, "Why am I being productive? Being productive." Look at someone like like uh, Osama. This is a person mm-hmm. who went and just dedicated himself to mm-hmm. serving the community and serving people that felt unserved. Yeah, Muslims who felt marginalized uh, on the fringes, unable to find the community. Mm-hmm. And made him he himself created himself to be their community. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is and, a and tremendous reward. Some people might be like, you could be doing this, you could be doing that, you're so intelligent, you could have been an engineer. Yeah. No, his productivity and his productivity is going to be with Allah. How much yeah. money could he have made in a short life? Yeah. Whatever. It doesn't and, matter. And this is this is to the credit, and I had mentioned Hamza Yusuf previously, that uh, which I, we owe a debt of gratitude to Hamza Yusuf. He gave us, like the people who are close around him, direction. He gave us a goal. And we saw what singular focus looks like. Mm-hmm. Like singular life devotion to a single cause. Doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with everything because in the past few years, I disagree with a lot of things. But that doesn't mean we throw out the past. Yeah. It doesn't mean we, th- what are we, we're not fools. And here. you have to give credit. Of oh. the people who went overseas yeah. in that era of going overseas, mm-hmm. Yeah. The ones who came back and were were really significant, almost yeah. all associated with Shaham. Yeah, and look at the people who are super close to him. They all took this from him of the idea of having a singular devotion in your life. Live, breathe, sleep, eat, drink, that devotion, right? And that singular focus. And they all have that. Osama is one of them, right? And he was one of his closest, right? And he shows that, you know, through Tetlif, he harnessed his focus and hopefully that institution lives beyond him. I mean, and, I mean, you know, and he gets the reward of all of it. And Allah, I guarantee you, he will uh, uh, protect his offspring without them, without him. And so. from his offspring, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the offspring of the muttaqeen are going to be protected. From his offspring will become ulama, ta'ala. And that's always what happens. So, uh, so I, I want to wrap up. But before we do, I, I just want to give uh, one more shout out. 
to an email message we received it was from Iftikhar. I'm not going to read the last yeah. name to, to yeah. keep uh, you know the privacy. But Iftikhar, you know, just uh, he sent out an email for appreciation. Uh, um, he you know he listens to most of our pri- podcasts. He said he's in UK, right? Yeah, in the UK. So uh, I noticed some of the idiosyncrasies. Uh, you know, we, we have on <laughs> yeah. our podcast. Yeah. So. yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, I say right. you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to give a yeah. shout out, you know, you know, he gave a beautiful dua, you know, for, you know, the continued success and, you know, I mean, growth of, you know, the group and the podcast. So, inshallah, you know, we ask our listeners to keep us, you know, in your duas as well. You know, we want to, you know, inshallah, be a benefit to other people and to the, you know, the the, the group that's that listening to us as well. So, you know, make dua for all of us and, and the people that you don't hear as well, right? Well, the the people who, you know, manage the Facebook and, and the marketing and yeah, you know, things Allah like rewards. that. So, you know, may Allah reward them as well. So, I think that's a wrap, inshallah. All right. Cool. Uh, Alex, you have one more? Yeah. Uh, I, the only other thing I wanted to say is um, if you see – Whenever you see something f- among your brothers or sisters that are Muslims, just make du'a for them. Ask Allah to forgive them. And um, also consider that you you might have your own sins that are perhaps just as bad or even maybe even worse. And even if they're nowhere near that, you still have sins. And because of who you are and you're more righteous, the sins might weigh more heavily anyway. So make du'a for them and, and hope that the angels make du'a for you. And uh, a- accept people for what they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, hope that Allah accepts you for who you are. I mean, I mean, All right, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanakallah. Wa alaikum. 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 Wa alaik